Hi, I'm Jayan Sriram and welcome to In Focus, the Hindu's analysis podcast. Thanks for joining us. We have split our coverage of COVID-19 into the daily update and the expert view series. You can find both of course in the In Focus by the Hindu podcast feeds both on our website as well as major platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher and Castbox. So this episode is part of the latter series and the topic we are looking into is the migrant labor crisis. I'm sure over the past few days all of you have seen images or at least heard about the problem with lakhs of migrant labor who have taken this long flight back home to their home villages kind of abandoned without support in a way by the national lockdown of which we are now entering the second week so in this episode we're not going to go into the mechanics through which the lockdown and subsequently some relief measures were announced there's been quite a lot of discussion about that already but rather we move on and look at what we can read now into patterns of migration and today i'm speaking with one of india's best researchers best academics on this issue on migration that's chinmay tumbe He teaches economics at IIM Ahmedabad and is the author of the excellent book India Moving: A History of Migration. So we look at questions like which are the regions to which many of these laborers would now go and does that leave certain regions vulnerable to infection clusters? And aside from these migration patterns, we also do a lot of looking ahead to possible disruptions in the labor market that might occur to scenarios beyond this lockdown. in case we have to go through another such event say if there is a second wave of infections what can be done to give migrant labor more of a sense of economic security so that we can avoid this kind of situation again so there are many issues to unpack which we get to step by step in this conversation and here's chinmay tumbe chinmay welcome to the hindus in focus podcast thank you for joining us today thanks for having me over right So uh, I thought it's it would be good to move this discussion a little bit uh, forward from whether the lockdown could have been planned better. I think there's a broad consensus now that uh, you know the answer to that is yes it could have been planned better. Um so just just to, just wanted to talk a little bit about um, you know migration patterns now and you have a very fascinating Twitter thread about this uh, where you put out a few maps and just for people who are not who might be a little intimidated by detailed maps I would just like to talk you through that a little bit. So what are the what are the patterns that we should be looking at now now that you know we're seeing this huge uh flight to home uh, that's being played out across the across the states. Sure. So the first thing to note is of course uh the international contact uh which happened. Now of course international travel has stopped but it's useful to know that certain parts of India are much more prone to international travel most being Kerala. Not surprisingly over half the cases right now have come from the Gulf. and that's because of the migration corridor to the gulf uh but it's also you know punjab which has this huge exposure to italy uh, it's also uh, uh you know uh, related to northern parts of uh, uh, andhra pradesh telangana and so on so there's certain clusters for international migration now this issue has moved to internal migration and the the big hot spots of india the west coast of india the coastal parts and the gangetic plains uh these are the you know historically been the the really large sources of out migration in india also the hill economies uttarakhand himachal and northern rajasthan much of the deccan plateau actually 
is out of this ambit. Now, of course, this is only one way that the virus can transfer, that is, you know, through migrants. Uh, it can also be chance encounters like we are seeing in this Nizamuddin case and so on. Uh, but if you look at uh, the Bihar to Delhi, Bihar to Surat, Bihar to Mumbai corridors, similarly for the UP corridors, especially Eastern UP, Western Bihar, I would imagine this to be a huge cluster that should be on alert. Uh, and the other one would be coastal Orissa, especially because coastal Orissa in the past has actually had epidemics being transferred through migrant workers from Surat, for, for instance. And we know that you know people from Surat have been going back uh, and so on. So this would this broadly tells you the geography of the hotspots of migration in India, the sort of lower Gangetic Plain. So not so basically not much in northeast India, not much in the Deccan Plateau, and everywhere around you you see these huge out migration clusters. So the migrants who have gone back have gone to those clusters, mostly. Right, and you brought up the Orissa example. Uh, so can we just get into a little bit more detail on that? What were the what was that epidemic that was brought in by migrants? Sure. Uh, the coastal Orissa sends, you know, a huge number of people to Gujarat. 100 years back, they were sending people to Burma. Uh, uh, the major epidemic we're talking about is AIDS. Now, AIDS is, of course, not, you know, uh, contagious. The transmission rates are not so high as uh, COVID-19. Uh, but uh, because this was... Uh, predominantly male-dominated city like Surat, AIDS basically was uh, generated in, in fairly high intensity and it was transported back when migrant workers would go back uh, home to Ganjam district in particular. Uh, so this is one sort of uh, important uh, transmission route that took place uh, in Od Odisha's history. Right, okay. Um, yeah, so one of the things that you talk about is, uh, you know, source region clusters. And I just like you to get into that idea a little bit more the fact that um, these these regions need to have stronger communication about how to deal with uh, migrants returning to these areas absolutely i mean i think the government now has an order after four four days you know 29th march they finally had an order that people who have gone back there have to be some sort of a quarantine measure self-isolation 14 days basically the same protocol that was used for international migrants uh, has to be followed for internal migrants, 14-day kind of a rule. Unfortunately, we've seen shocking visuals of, you know, people being disinfected uh, and, I mean, people being sprayed over by disinfectants and so on. And hopefully all those kind of things stop. The other concern is that there'll be ostracization. We've seen this in the Konkan region where migrants coming back have been actually asked to go back to Mumbai uh, saying, you know, don't get the virus to us. And I think there should be clear communication that, look, it, there's a huge probability that these people actually are not carrying the virus. Uh, but of course, in order for public safety, they have to be isolated for 14 days just in case, uh, rather than just saying, you know, uh, we don't want anyone in our village at all. So I think that sort of communication has to go out. Right. And just as we're mapping migration patterns, do we need to be concerned about certain areas? Because the ones that you did mention also kind of correspond to the ones that we know historically have weaker public health systems. Yes, that's the you know real main worry, especially in eastern UP, uh, western Bihar. Uh, I think what we really need to ramp up is to get the basic test kits in many of these district level administrations uh, and just do some basic testing to see if there's any community level uh, transmission. Uh, I think if you do more and more testing and find that, you know, the very, very low prevalence rates, I think that would lead to a huge uh, uh, sort of, uh, it would allay a lot of fears and also make the decision to end the lockdown uh, very smooth in the sense we'd get a good grip. Uh, it, the, the problem is it, the fewer tests we do, we really don't know what's the what the future is. And the more tests we do, we get a clear sense of, you know, how bad uh, the issue is. Uh, and so definitely the, the testing, and, and that's not too difficult 
compared to you know ramping up complete hospitals and medical setup just getting the testing kits in place in at the district level in these cluster districts would be a good idea right um and just i just wanted to get also an um y- your thoughts on what is the comparison between so you look we know that uh, individual states have been taking um uh, several measures that is uh, separate from what the central government is doing um any of the state policies that really stand out to you in dealing with um you know firstly the movement of migrants and also those returning i think uh, of course telangana is now taking the lead kcr had these you know very strong statements that we will do what it takes i think that was very important that should have started from the prime minister's lockdown speech as well um uh, the rbi you know in when it was when it had its uh, recent meeting they used these words we will do what it takes and i think that's a very you know strong statement that state government should be making uh we've seen now delhi after a few days make such statements we've seen uttarakhand for example reach out and actually arrange buses to get migrant workers back safely and so so did up and kerala of course had taken the lead nearly 2 months back in terms of uh, public safety and they've got good experience in dealing with epidemics because there was a nipa virus outbreak uh, of a few years back as well so i think individual states uh, maharashtra also has been fairly uh, ahead of the curve in ordering you know reasonable amount of lockdown even before the national lockdown was was ordered Uh, so i think state governments now of course now there's a 29th march order which says state governments have to provide public support irrespective of whether you have a ration card or not to basically migrant workers who are stuck they have to ensure that wages are paid on time uh, there's a one month rental waiver scheme which has been launched so these kind of measures uh, are now at least they're on paper as per the 29th march uh, order from the ministry of home affairs and so state governments whether they like it or not have to start enforcing that right and just talking about this uh... Uh, providing security to migrant labor so we don't i mean there, there is a statement now that this lockdown is not going to be extended beyond april 15th but uh, there's also there's also the, the chance that this might be one of several lockdowns that we might have to go through is especially if there's a second wave of the virus and so on and so forth um so just two immediate things uh, just strike me there once this lockdown ends uh, what do you see happening in terms of are we do all these people now just return or will there be some sort of caution do you think and actually and will that cause that uh, a further economic disruption no i think there is going to be a massive economic disruption in any case whether uh, the lockdown right. extends or not for the simple reason that uh, a huge part of the workforce in urban areas is migrant they are scared yeah. they are uh, undernourished right now some of them have left many of them haven't uh those who have left there's a psychological shock they'll of course come back at some point but they're not going to come back immediately on april 15th right so they're going to kind of uh, stay stay back home for at least a few more months uh so so what's going to be happening is very interesting because a lot of people who could not move back home they'll probably come back home just to be with their family for some more time so what you're actually going to get is a severe labor shortage in indian cities starting from april 15th uh and it's not the case that you know people are just going to switch back on and come back so when when we say the lo- lockdown ends and the factories are going to start working and everything will uh, you know start back to normal i'm afraid that you know people are simply then people are going to realize firms are going to realize that there's going to be a labor shortage now in a very strange and twisted way it would also mean that you know labor's bargaining power in cities will actually go up for a very short period of time and this is what we saw in the plague you know bubonic plague of bombay in 1890s that precisely because half the city had emptied those who had chosen to stay in the city their sort of bargaining rights improved and they got you know huge concession from employers uh, so these kind of dynamics i'm sure will play out in the second half of april 
And um, so assuming a, a, a strong number do return, now there is this question now of, you know, even when this lockdown was announced, I mean, people did note that migrant labor was one of those groups that kind of really fell through the cracks in uh, policy thinking because, you know, only it was only after the lockdown that people really started getting to grips with the idea that, you know, not enough security was being provided, uh, social security, economic security. Um, I know that that is quite a quite a long road in the sense of how do you really restructure systems to provide social and economic security. But what can be done in the short term, assuming that people return and then a few months later, another lockdown needs to be imposed? Um, what can be done in the short term? I think this is a golden opportunity to actually fast forward this policy, or which was being planned to be rolled out from June 1st by the Ministry of Consumer Affairs, PDS, and so on. And there is this one nation, one ration card policy. Now, this has been a policy, uh, uh, this has been on the policy cards for almost a decade. It's a fantastic policy in the sense that it basically universalizes social security, which means you can access social security anywhere in India. You don't need to be in your place of domicile. What this means is you need to have a tremendous interstate coordination. I think what they can do is instead of postponing it, I read a newspaper that uh, account that said that they might postpone this given the, the disruption. I think they should be bring it, bringing it forward. They should start this, uh, you know, one nation, one Russian card policy right away uh, and uh, see how it works, see, how, see you know, uh, basic flaws that might happen in its teething phases uh, and really announce it as the future because this is a, a phenomenal way uh, to change. And, and if, the, if there's another lockdown which happens, then... It, you know, there'll be less instant flight behavior simply because people will have access to social security irrespective of their domicile. And that would be a tremendous boon for migrant workers. So just in terms of one policy, I would say universalizing social security uh, should be on the cards. Okay. And just as a policy, has this gone through a long debate? I just wanted to get a sense of how long this has actually been an idea that's been in the public domain and been discussed. Yeah, just to give you a sense, uh, it's been... From on the res from a researcher's point of view, it's been discussed for at least 15 years. 2017 January, there was a government of India report called the Working Group Report on Migration, which also proposed this. After that, there were pilot programs by this ministry. This Ram Vilas Paswan heads this Ministry of Consumer Affairs, PDS, and so on. And they had pilot, uh, which I think was uh, you know across. First, they basically universalized it within states, so you don't have to be in your place of birth. So if you're in Bihar, you can access Russian anywhere in Bihar. That was the first step. And I think that kind of took about a couple of years. And then they've started some pilot about, you know, this interstate. Because the root cause is who's going to pay for this, right? And so you need to have tremendous interstate coordination for this. Now, the, the problem is we simply don't have the numbers. We don't know how many people from UP are in Gujarat and Rajasthan accurately. Partly because the census data is released eight years after the census. So 2011 census data is released just a few months back, literally. Uh, and so there, there are huge gaps in knowledge about exactly how many migrant workers from state to state uh, are there. And hopefully this crisis will awaken authorities and we might have like an interstate migration council, just like we have it for the GST, uh, which is for the movement of goods and services and so on. Uh, and so I think that is very important. So if they can set up something like an interstate council on migration uh, on migrant workers and just roll out this uh, universal social security scheme, I think that would be a phenomenal thing that uh, could happen. Right. Yeah. Um, and how, how, I mean, I know that it is very hard to track and document the number of migrant workers moving between states. But and I, I think that most people have a sense that this is not something that the government is very up on in terms of the numbers. But I just want to get a sense from you of how, how, how much of a lacuna this is. 
in terms of how much we don't understand about the numbers and we're unable to just track uh, basic trends in these movements. Yeah, I mean, the economic survey of 2016-17 tried to use data from railway, uh, you know, uh, general compartment reserve uh, movements and so on. Uh, my sense is we know that a, initially we didn't know anything about the numbers. This is say a decade back. Today, from, through a variety of methods, we know that the numbers are fairly large. That's why this whole crisis has actually not surprised many of us who work on migration because we know that these numbers are fairly large. And if you announce a lockdown in the way it was done, it would you know lead to uh, the kind of crisis that we are seeing today. Uh, so uh, the it would be nice to have real-time numbers, but that's going to be hard in any case. I think just... The minute you universalize social security, I think the center should give a stopgap arrangement saying that, you know, we will pay initially in the initially just to get a sense of what is the demand of this, you know, universal social security scheme. We will pay the states X amount of money uh, and be the sort of, uh, you know, giver of the last resort. And then as this scheme sort of settles down and we get a sense of how much is actually being accessed by migrant workers across different states, I think then states can, you know, uh, move it on from there. And that was the principle behind GST. GST was completely, nobody knew what was going to happen. Now that the system is stabilizing, you've got a better sense of, you know, the numbers and so on. Right, yeah. Um, and just, you know, one thing is providing um, economic security. The other thing is, you know, uh, again, supposing we're uh, hypothesizing again to supposing there's a future lockdown, what can be done in terms of just communicating it better? I think that was the major point here that this was just communicated disastrously. It was just announced one day and uh, without being without any time for planning. Uh, in hindsight, what can we do better? I think they gave us more time to plan for the Janta curfew than for migrant yeah. workers to go back home. If you see the UK government, they gave one week's notice to all international students to leave UK. I think we should have done the same thing. Give a one week's notice, you know, uh, to for people to leave and they'll go back because there was a critical time. Uh, and I, I don't accept that, you know, March 24th was suddenly one fine day, uh, you know, the, the critical time. I think it, it was it took about a week that one week was critical. And so I think we should let migrant workers go back uh, home. This also this idea of containing the virus within cities, let it not go to villages uh, because, you know, uh, there are no health facilities there. It's very, it's very laudable in theory. In practice, it's just not going to happen. You're going to have what we just saw, that migrants are going to scramble to get back home. Uh, so you, I think the policy response has to be that, look, people will want to go home. And before it's too late, let them go home. And of course, enforce all these, you know, isolation kind of rules, quarantine rules, give more information and, you know, uh, ensure that uh, that is happening. And then because now there's also a crisis of feeding these migrant workers on, you know, I mean, eat, there's some 60,000 camps right now in India, relief camps. Uh, so the government is going through hell just as we speak in order to uh, uh, sort of uh, ensure that these migrant workers can uh, uh, subsist for the next uh, two weeks. So you're, you're leading to a new crisis if you don't let the migrant workers go back. And of course, you give an option that if you don't want to go back, if you're going to stay put, we will do everything it takes to sort of uh, uh, provide for your welfare, which means you'll get your monthly wages, you don't have to pay rent maybe for that month, uh, and plus we will ensure your, uh, you'll have food. Right, and Chinmay, if I could just end with a broader question. I mean, in times like this, we look for historical parallels and, you know, as unprecedented as COVID-19 is in many ways, a lot of epidemiologists, for instance, uh, refer to the influenza outbreak of 1918. Uh, I think that you refer to this also um, in the Twitter thread that I mentioned. Uh, what can we really learn from that in terms of uh, how migrants might have spread this disease or just in terms of how uh, labor markets were disrupted? 
Yeah, I think two things. One is, of course, that migrants uh, can spread diseases. Uh, the proof of that is more in the plague than the influenza. Uh, but of course, you know, we've seen like, for example, you know, tourists. They, I mean, we don't consider them to be migrant workers, but it's in many cases what we're calling a super spreaders. And one person just happens to infect a lot of people. So it doesn't have to be just the migrant route uh, that matters. But of course, migration is a way that, you know, uh, that the sta standardized standard migration routes can be a way through which uh, viruses uh, transfer. I think the influenza, of course, was like a different kind of a virus. In terms of lessons, uh, what's interesting is, of course, the disruption of the labor markets. Uh, I think we have to be very pay very careful attention to our supply chains, uh, precisely because the influenza was the worst year in economic history of India, recorded economic history, where our GDP tanked by about 10% in real terms per annum, uh, and we got inflation of about 30%, which is, you know, telling you it's a classic supply side shock. Uh, and so we should see the, ensure that, you know, it doesn't happen. Right now, prices might be mute or falling. But very soon, if the supplies, sort of, uh, supply chains are not uh, uh, mended, uh, you're going to see prices actually start going up, which means you have this classic case of mass unemployment and prices going up just as, you know, the time of influenza. So I think that should be the real lesson of history. That is, uh, you know, you've got to ensure that the supply chain gets going. And for that, you need a workforce you know, which is going to work uh, as, as soon as possible. Okay. Chinmay, we'll end it there. Thank you so much for joining us. I think this was really insightful. Uh, and hopefully we'll get to speak to you again soon sometime. Sure. Thanks a lot.